Workplace Wellbeing with Vincent Wall. Brought to you by Leia Healthcare. Download the full Workplace Wellbeing Index now on leiahealthcare.ie. Hello and welcome to Workplace Wellbeing with Vincent Wall. We'll be exploring new ways of work, culture and inclusion in the workplace with a range of expert interviews. On today's show, we'll be looking at financial well-being in a post-pandemic and increasingly inflationary world. Coming up, we'll talk to experts in the fields of retail and hospitality about their plans for the winter and beyond. And future of work expert Peter Cosgrove will examine how workplace dynamics are evolving in the context of the cost of living crisis. But first, before we get into the workplace dynamic, let's get an idea of the scale of the crisis that's facing people. Frank Conway is the founder of MoneyWiz and he joins me now. Frank, we, we've all gone through the, uh, the trauma of, of COVID, Frank, and we thought when we got out of that, hopefully uh, things might be back to normal. But inflation has come almost out of nowhere and, and is having a, a dramatic effect on, on the way we live and work. Yeah, and inflation began to show its head back in mid-2021 when we saw things like the price of timber uh, skyrocket for a period of time, kind of came back a little bit. And then there were signs in 2020 from the US Federal Reserve that they would tolerate higher rates of inflation. There was a note at the time back in August of 2020 that they would accept higher inflation for just for people to get back to work and keep the economies going. I think few people expected it to come back this way. And, and most central banks kind of, you know, were, were giving the message in late 2021, look, you know, inflationary pressures are building up because of COVID, because of impact on supply chains, all of that. But it's only going to be a transitory thing. It will pass. Uh, that doesn't look to be the case now. It, it, it's very sticky, as they say. And we may be into this inflationary environment for, for a number of years now. Yeah, there's a, kind of a saying that it exists in, in personal finance, particularly when it comes to inflation, it's called the rocket and the feather effect. And that is that the prices will shoot up and be very, very slow to come back. And you're absolutely right. Certain things are happening. We've gone to a very prolonged period over the last 20, 25 years more of very low inflation. And the narrative was that we had conquered it and the bigger risk was deflation. And there are some theorists out there that still kind of talk around that. Uh, but I think once inflation becomes a little bit more embedded, uh, and certainly it has now, you know, looking at inflation in the eurozone of 10%, that becomes quite difficult to kind of tackle. Now, there are signs out there when we look at commodity prices, for example, that some of them are beginning to, to fall back a little bit more, things like copper, for example. So there can be recessionary pressures and things like that. But inflation, like I said, it's almost the rocket and the feather effect. Once they go up, they're very, very slow to come back. Is it your view that uh, households, employees, businesses, it's not just the the impact of inflation itself, it's the psychology of inflation, the worry about it, because most of us haven't had to deal with high inflation in our lifetimes. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. You know, I talk to people because I do a lot of work with companies and sometimes I meet people from other, other countries. And about a year ago, I was talking to somebody from Iran and they were saying to me, look, when they get money, they spend it right away. We don't see that psychology sitting in in Ireland yet. I think there is a broad expectation that inflation will come back and people kind of accepting you know, while it's uncomfortable, you know, there is a lot of resilience out there. There are a lot, there is lots of money sitting on deposit because I see that through the central bank numbers. I think, you know, in terms of the expectation, it hasn't kind of sit in yet. People are kind of still taking that faith that, you know, that things will come back. Um, but it does create two problems. One is the immediate, you know, cost of goods and services going up. The other is the longer term impact, you know, on the value of money. And that is particularly, you know, detrimental to people on fixed incomes, particularly in retirement. Is there a danger if we are looking into 
two to three years of, of relatively high inflation. Of course, the, the war in Ukraine is a, is a critical issue there as well, I suppose. Is, is there a danger that those people who have some savings, who have a little bit of disposable income perhaps, will sit on it, will save it because they're worried about what's around the corner and that will cause the economy, particularly the, the domestic economy, uh, the spending economy, to, to slow down? Yeah, that's I, I, a good question. I, I think what will happen is that you know, if it lasts more than a couple of years, what ends up happening generally is that savings get used up. And that they will get used up anyway because of the rising cost of mortgages, because which is, again, an impact of, of inflation. And then over time, you'll perhaps begin to find that the use of credit will go up, and that has its own issues as well. So I, I think the big challenge is spending behaviours. We're not seeing those slow down yet. In fact, you know, the signs from across the Eurozone and the US, for example, are still fairly robust unemployment is still very, very low. The bigger issue is that inflation does lead to higher interest rates, higher cost of services, lower production and rising levels of unemployment. Um, If that happens, the the bigger fear for most people is that you could have stagflation, which is that inflation keeps going and then unemployment begins to tick back up again. So those are the nightmare scenarios for people. We're just not seeing it yet. But the point you made earlier in terms of the predictions of central banks, you know, they expect that inflation will come back later this year. It's not showing showing up yet, you know. So um, I think, you know, it, it's a difficult period maybe for the next six to 12 months in terms of where all this goes. Certainly the war is a big contributing factor and that needs to be resolved. And in many ways, particularly for certain cohorts of people in the workplace, uh, Frank, it's a double whammy because we have general price rises going up anywhere between 8 and 10%, but we also have interest rate increases for the first time in a long time. And and that obviously is going to have an impact on all mortgage holders, particularly those who are perhaps just into their mortgage journey. Yeah, and the mortgage cost is, is the big elephant in the room. You know, somebody right now, over the last, since July, perhaps, you know, if they've got a 300,000 euro mortgage, probably in a year now, they're looking at mortgage costs going up by about 2,500 a year, roughly. They've gone from 3% up to 4.25%. And that's a big burden to carry. Yeah, and then the European Central Bank is saying that um, they're not finished yet. So there could be another significant rate rise again this year. So that is that is a concern. And it does show up a little bit with, with a lot of companies I work with, you know, but not yet. It's not kind of showing up as a forceful issue. I do survey people as well, and, and it's not beginning to show up yet. So there is, a, to, to my view, a level of understanding out there, a level of, of knowledge about what's happening. I, I think we're going to get to a next phase, which is that there's a squeeze factor. People will begin to perhaps look around for better benefits. And that's where the, you know, the wage issue begins to come back into things. So as you say, it doesn't seem to have hit yet. It's, it's, it's a wet and windy morning out there. We're, we're talking to you in October. All the impact of, of winter and higher costs, particularly on the energy side. Do you think there will be a squeeze? People will automatically look for higher wages. And how are the employers you're talking to bracing themselves or trying to prepare themselves for that? Oh, I think there will be a squeeze, yeah. And, and the point to touch on there is the very real rising cost of both the mortgages, which are beginning to only kick in after the August, you know, the July, August, September period. Uh, and the other side is the utilities. I think that's where the shock factor begins to happen. Um, obviously, the, there's the, the credits from government, which will be welcome with most people. Um, I think what will begin to happen is that there will be pressures building. And the pressures are always two ways, either that people will perhaps tackle the employers or they look for benefits. Employers are more likely to try to give one-off measures, uh, perhaps as incentives to kind of curtail the impact of inflation. 
Um, but I think most of them are loath to, to go down the route of, of, of wage inflation. But market, market competition will drive that anyway. You know, that tends to be what drives wages up. And if there's a demand for a particular skill set, people are unhappy. Um, you know, they begin to look around and people are always looking around. Um, they look for where an employer is offering a better wage. And that is then what drives it. Of course, there, there, there are many different types of employers. So there are employers who are perhaps in a position to try to prepare for this, to bring in, as you say, perhaps one-off measures to try and mitigate the impact of, of the cost of living crisis on their employees. There's a whole swathe of employers out there who, who, who may not survive this at all. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that, there's no doubt about that. There will be employers who operate operate very tight margins, for example, Hospitality always seems to be an area that is, is, is challenging. Um, so there will be two sides to that. There will be perhaps the large multinationals who perhaps have very deep pockets. Although, the, you know, again, during the week, you know, the signs that some of those large ones met and Google, particularly in the US, are beginning to hold on hiring. You know, so that's an important message out there. Um, so it will, you know, impact. It does always impact in terms of the profitability of companies. And some that, again, like operating those tight margins, um, will find it very difficult going. Um, they'll have to do more with less and in some cases have to scale accordingly and that could be scaling down in some cases. Normally speaking, when we, particularly in an Irish context, Frank, when the economy gets squeezed for whatever reason, uh, and I know we, we have almost full employment at the moment, which, which is great, but when a squeeze comes on or the perception of a squeeze come on, there's the safety valve of emigration. And we know a lot of people are leaving the country uh, on a discretionary basis at the moment, but every country in, in the Western world is suffering these kinds of problems, isn't it? Yeah, and, and again, Ireland would have gone through this perhaps after the, the 08 crash, the financial squeeze at that point, and people did move out. And, and again, you know, I talk to people in their 20s, you know, there are kind of significant cohorts are perhaps looking at North America and, and places afar, you know. So the immigration is always the Irish story. It is always that, you know, people will move and they'll move for lots of reasons. They're probably moving as well for things like, you know, accessibility, access to, to housing. You know, that would be one mm-hmm. that comes up quite a bit, you know. So that that would always remain there, you know, and it, it's not going to go away, certainly in an Irish context, is part and parcel of who we are. So those pressures will continue. Um yeah, I don't see that changing at any level anytime soon. I've talked to some kids last week in reasonably good jobs and looking at moving to Canada, you know. So for mm-hmm. various reasons, experience, age, and to some degree as well, maybe lifestyle and, and property, you know. So those are the reasons. That's the mix of why people look. Looking at the broad swathe of, of, of the workflows for, for workforce, for Frank, um, in your experience, which cohort is worst affected? Is it is it tend to be young families that have perhaps commuting costs, that have high rent or high mortgages, and of course, childcare costs. In that case, what sort of anxieties are they uh, experiencing in the workplace? Yeah, really good question. I run a survey, so it's an ongoing one. So, you know, it's kind of after I run work work with companies. Last week, I had one event of over 2,000 people in it. And and at the end of it, the survey goes out. And what's coming out of it is two things. One is that people, particularly in their 30s, are very vulnerable because things can be very tight. And one of the questions I ask is, you know, would you have a difficulty maybe giving a birthday gift or a wedding present? And quite a significant proportion of people in their 30s are saying that that would create a huge problem for them. It's about 20%. Um, so that's always a concern. So think their, their, budget, their budget is that tight. Yeah, their budget is that tight. And again, people in their 40s are perhaps a little bit more pessimistic because they're looking at things like pension planning. That's on one side of it. So that is the day-to-day running. The other cohort that's very vulnerable to inflation, of course, are those in their 50s who may not have maybe put enough money aside into a pension plan, may not have taken advantage of the tax relief. 
they're running out of time and what inflation does is it makes it much more difficult to grow that money sufficiently over the next 10, 15 years. So it, there are different kind of vulnerabilities out there, particularly, you know, but certainly somebody in their early 30s, either paying a rent, saving to buy a home, even if they get the help to buy, um, it, it's challenging and it's very, very tight. And that's coming out in the survey information, you know. So, yeah, it's it's a challenge for that, that cohort in particular. Perhaps finally, Frank, have you any broad tips for people who are facing into significantly higher prices across the full range of services and good already? Uh, they're worried that that's going to get worse. Any any broad tips as to how they might make ends meet a bit better or even just face up to things a little bit with a little bit more resilience? Yeah, um, generally what I say to people is there's two sides to the household budget. One is on the income side of it. You know, uh, it, it's estimated that perhaps in the region of ex- in excess of 300 million goes unclaimed each year through revenue. So I would say to people, can you bring more money back into the household? There's things like the rent room relief for people who may own that property already. Um, try to claim back from revenue. There's over almost 80 different tax credits that are available. Uh, become familiar with that. Then go, go actually go onto my own website. There's um, it doesn't cost anything. I don't track anybody. There, there's a tax relief signpost which I've taken from revenue. Go through that and kind of reference that. That would be one way of maybe looking to bring more money back into the house. And the second side is as they go through the income expenditure on the expenses side, really detail everything. Go through that income expenditure three months in a row once because it will give them great visibility. And then once a year after that, and pretty much question everything. Most financial products can be switched. Food costs, we estimate we waste about 700 euro, euro a year on food waste, uh, good food, by the way, um, and go into mywaste.ie and then check against the SEI website, maybe for home energy kind of improvements and, and so forth. So there's lots of kind of tips in terms of maybe uh, both on the expensive side and the income side of it, you know, maybe trying to try and tidy that up a little bit, bit more. And sometimes people just simply aren't aware of maybe claiming back from revenue or maybe some expenses that they've had that turned a blind eye to it. And that's what the income expenditure process kind of works for. It creates visibility. Once you funnel that information through an income expenditure, they can download a free one from my own website. Um, they just question everything. That would be my basic approach in terms of um, maybe staying on the right foot. And perhaps start a conversation with your employer as well. Yeah, that can help. Yeah, sometimes as far as we begin will begin to look at it and, and say, well, how can they help? I, it's certainly what I find with most employers that they're very cognizant of what's going on. Um, you know, they're concerned themselves that there is a pressure there that could be very difficult to handle over the long term. Um, so, you know, yeah, there can be conversation. The other thing I would often say to people is continue to learn, you know, continue to upskill uh, and, and continue to stay sharp in terms of what their skill sets are and be very adaptable. You know, that those are the other things I would say to people. Frank Conway, founder of MoneyWiz, thanks indeed for joining us. Up next, future of work expert Peter Cosgrove on the HR issues at play thanks to that cost of living crisis. Workplace Wellbeing with Vincent Wall. Brought to you by Leia Healthcare. Download the full Workplace Wellbeing Index now on leahhealthcare.ie. Now, it's one thing to set out the cost of living issues we have, but it's another thing to have to manage all the issues that then arise in the office as a result. I'm joined now by future of work expert Peter Cosgrove to talk through what may have to be managed in that context. Peter, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Now, we know we, we, we've all come through, hopefully, the, the, the COVID crisis and, and the impact that had on the office environment, the workplace environment. I suppose the biggest impact was working from home and the emergence of, of hybrid working. Do you think this cost of living crisis now that has come so quickly on on top of COVID might swing that pendulum back? 
Yeah, it's interesting. Um, some people argue that uh, the cost of living crisis will mean more people will decide to go back into work just from heat, heat reasons alone. Electricity, why Why am I paying for my own when I can get my employer doing it? Uh, so I think that that is one area. But I think the bigger area is going to be if job market gets a little bit trickier, um, I think there is a challenge that if you're working from home that you might be forgotten about. If certain companies decide down the line, maybe they are going to make redundancies. And that whole thing that we hated about work, which is we had to be seen, presenteeism, it might come back a bit. And I know for one, if I was a younger worker and I felt there was any risk in my employer, I'd be in the workplace. I wouldn't be sitting at home. Now, that's not exactly the right way to go about it, but I kind of think that's kind of the way the behaviours work with people. And before we come to that behavioural, possible behavioural changes, I suppose just weighing up the pure cost of living factors uh, in this new environment, which people are getting their heads around now, you may have to weigh up uh, the cost of, of heating at home against the cost of commuting if you go back. Yeah, and I think, and that's become more expensive as well. Yeah, so they both have become a lot more expensive. And I think, you know, there's other things like if you're flat sharing, there's no point you going into work if three of your colleagues all decide to stay at home. So people will be having those discussions. But it is uh, slightly terrifying that people are and will potentially make decisions about going into work based on heating, you know, but that mm-hmm. is actually what people, where people are getting to because their inflation is so high and people are so worried about those pennies and trying to save wherever they can. Are you surprised uh, we're going to be referencing the uh, Leia Healthcare Wellbeing Index, which has just been published? We're going to reference it right through this series. But one of the, the more interesting uh, headlines I, I thought was that in terms of uh, the anxieties that people suffer or are suffering undergoing in the workplace, uh, the cost of living crisis ha- has replaced COVID. It's well up there now as, as the issue that is causing most anxiety amongst people in the workplace, particularly women. Are you surprised at that at all? Um, Not really, because I actually think uh, two things. One, obviously, the number one thing we worry about the most is just daily, you know, finances. And if they start to, if if things probably impact us outside of our control, it worries us. Um, The second thing I think that is still worrying is that because we aren't together as much as we used to be, we're working from home. We actually have more time to think about these things. And actually, unfortunately, Vincent, we've more time on our own to think about it. And actually, sometimes, you know, problems shared and so forth. We're not doing that. Um, And people are much more loath to ring somebody if they're concerned about something rather than just chatting across a desk with somebody. So I think that is a bigger issue. And I suppose if you are at home working or or changing jobs or whatever, all the media headlines that we're seeing now, not not just about the cost of living, although that's obviously uh, a key part of it, but the possibility of energy blackouts over the winter, the the obviously the the war in Ukraine and all the things that wash out of that, that must be hugely increasing anxiety levels amongst people wherever they're working, either in the workplace or at home. Yeah, because and I think most people uh, who are kind of worry about anything that makes them anxious, it's it's they're worrying about things that they can't actually control. You know, there's nothing we can do about Ukraine, but we actually have to look at it and see it every day, and that's slightly terrifying. Um, so people have these macro concerns that are big issues for them, and then they've the more micro concerns, which is energy blackouts might mean, well, I'm so dependent on my Wi-Fi, and maybe my work. Um, is so critical that if it goes out at a certain period of time, and I know for a fact that over two years of COVID, if you were ever doing anything where Wi-Fi was needed at that moment, it was that terrifying feeling that it might go out because it was completely outside your control. And and that was just from local Wi-Fi providers having maybe a downgrade for a few minutes. Now we're talking about blackouts, which might be a much longer period. Now, the the, the uh, employment market is, is very strong at the moment, and, and the central bank 
quite recently said they expect it to remain strong. Uh, referencing the, the LEA Healthcare Wellbeing Index again, people are, are maybe torn in this kind of environment where the cost of living pressures are beginning to impact on them. They may be torn as to whether to stay put because of the security of where they are or to look for a higher paid job. Is that in itself going to cause anxiety or is that going to cause even more volatility in the workplace? Yeah, I mean, look, I always think when it comes to the job market, there's some people out there who are in amazing jobs like technology, there's certain jobs in healthcare, pharmaceutical, where there's just, you know, you could get a new job tomorrow. And then there's other people who probably find there's a little bit of a challenge in terms of they don't have the same comfort level. But when it comes to changing jobs, there's always going to be a premium to change jobs. And that's, you know, people get excited about that. But as he said, it's all about your risk tolerance. You know, how do you feel? I always say to people, how would you feel if you lost your job? Would it be 10 out of 10 on the anxiety scale? Or would you actually be comfortable taking a month or two off and then starting again? And really, it comes down to that. It's not about the more money. It's about that feeling. I've met people whose job made redundant. And even if they've got a two-year payoff, they need to be working the next day. They can't relax. They can't even enjoy the money because they need to be working. And there's other people who have no issue. So you really need to ask yourself, first and foremost, if you're going to change jobs, what's your risk tolerance if that job goes away? Do you expect, perhaps as the winter uh, gathers pace and, and, and the weather becomes worse and the headlines become worse, do you expect the will, more pressure will come on employers to pay more? Um, I think two things are going to happen. One, employers are going to work out a little bit more about this remote versus non-remote working and there's some kind of fears that <laughs> employers might start paying more for people who come into the office and people mm-hmm. who don't. Now, they, that won't happen officially. It'll happen more unofficially. But I do think there's a general view that employers should pay more. However, I know employers, the one thing they absolutely abhor is when people come in and go, I can't you know, pay for things, so I need more money. An employer will always go, that's not my problem. And I know that sounds harsh, but the reality is they go, that isn't my problem. you know. And I also have budgets and I have my own um, competitive pressures and I also have to pay the bills. So I think it's a real challenge as an individual worker. The one thing you should probably never do is go in and go, I need more money because it's got to be, you should pay me more money because of the job I'm doing and how wonderful I am. And that interaction, and we know that the employer-employee relationship has been evolving anyway in terms of where the power balance lies. I suppose it it has been with employees over recent years, generally speaking. But that assessment as to whether to look for more money and how to frame it might depend on how important you are to the business. Yeah, and and most people out there struggle a little bit uh, with, A, most people don't like selling themselves. And there's certain areas people, oh, I don't feel I have to sell myself. It should just happen naturally. It just doesn't, by the way. It just does not. If you're happy with the salary you're on, you never push for it. Your employer is very very unlikely to give you more money without any sort of prompt. So the first thing is you do need to push for it. But secondly, you need to have tangible reasons why people can see that you're good for the business. Not kind of more, but I'm just a good person to have around. They need to know what you do that impacts either the top line or the bottom line. And that's, that's something that's not difficult to do, but you actually have to put a bit of thought into it and then present your case. In terms of the anxiety levels that may be arising uh, uh, amongst the workplace generally, whether they're in the office, half the week in the office or working from home, um, is there anything employers generally can do or should do to try to mitigate that anxiety that's growing 
even just to talk to people about it or to put some sort of measures in place? Yeah, well, I mean, the the one area that they can do most about for me is this whole kind of digital piece where uh, people are online constantly. So, you know, as people have started working remotely, they're working longer hours, uh, they're working for more time, but also there's more communication devices, whether it's they're now being communicated in WhatsApp and text and email and Slack and Instant Messenger and LinkedIn and ha- all these ways. So you have to be able to give your employees a break. But the only way you can do that is if you as an employer also take a break, because if you as a CEO are sending emails at Sunday, even if you say you don't need to respond, you know they're going to look at it. Because as CEO, you're going to feel guilty if you don't respond. So you as an employer will be much better off if your employees are getting a break, are getting their weekend, are getting their holidays. But if you don't make that happen, they will feel guilty if they're not working because that's what's happened during COVID. We've kind of worked all the time. So I think that's the number one thing you do. And the second thing is, if people have that anxiety and stress, you need to let them know that you as a leader feel it sometimes as well. And if they can feel that, okay, I, you know, we're all feeling it at the moment. Like, okay, so it's not just me. If my boss is feeling, well, then maybe it's okay to talk about it. And, and on that issue of talking about it, uh, you know, you, you, you referenced earlier that you wouldn't advise people to go up and ask for a raise because of the cost of living issue. Would you advise employees and employers to talk about anxiety levels, mental well-being, particularly in the light of this new cost of living inflationary crisis that we're going through? I'd love to say yes, but I would say it depends on your employer. Uh, some people are much better at having those conversations than others. Um, we saw during COVID, a lot of managers were told, you need to worry about the well-being of your staff. That's what they were told in the first three months. And managers were ringing, how's your well-being? And this person was going, hang on, you've never even asked me how I am. And now I have to talk to you about my mental well-being. I wouldn't even talk to my psychologist about that. So why am I going to talk to you? So I think you have to be careful. You can't just go from, we never had a proper conversation to, I want to have a really deep dive. So I think that's the starting point. So if you're an employee, maybe start small and see what kind of reaction you get from your manager. And whatever about conversations about mental health and anxiety, would it be a good idea for employers where they can to put perhaps um, financial management courses or programs in place, even a one day kind of thing, just how to manage your money better? Or might that bring focus on how much people are being paid? No, no. I I think, uh, honestly, any of those things, people do appreciate them, whether it's anything to do with stress, anything to do with financial management, any of those things. If an employee feels that you're actually thinking about them, it makes a big difference. Peter Cosgrove, Future of Work expert. Thanks indeed for joining us. Thank you. Up next, we speak to representatives of two major industry sectors about what they're seeing on the ground when it comes to managing these cost of living issues. Workplace Wellbeing with Vincent Wall. Brought to you by Leia Healthcare. Download the full Workplace Wellbeing Index now on leahhealthcare.ie. So we know there are issues to be managed as a result of the cost of living crisis, but what's happening on the ground? What about industries that are seeing these things play out on a day-to-day basis? I'm delighted to be joined now by Elena Fitzgerald, Chairperson of Irish Tourism Industry Confederation. And in the studio here with us, Duncan Graham, the Managing Director of Retail Excellence Ireland. You're both very welcome and thanks for joining us. Elena, I might come to you first. Both of your sectors, the hotel, hospitality sector and the retail sector, had very tough time during COVID, which hopefully the worst is over. Now we're into a different crisis, the cost of living crisis that that may be with us for a couple of years as well. How is it impacting on the hotel stroke hospitality sector? Uh, What impact is it having on both employers and employees? Um, I suppose the impact has been huge, Vincent. Um, you know, tourism emerged quite vulnerable, um, I suppose, being the first to be switched on and off, in essence, during, you know, um, COVID times and pandemic times. And I think there was a vulnerability that kind of underpins, I suppose, opening back up. And 
even, you know, despite, I suppose, a lot of people talk about 2022 and how, you know, everywhere seemed to be so busy. And, you know, we had a lot of discussion around, you know, overpricing and shortage of supply and that. But the reality is, you know, that, that 2022 hasn't been a normal year. And actually, tourism recovery isn't expected until 2026, 2027. So even in terms of recent CSO figures, the numbers would have lagged behind, you know, the rest of the country. And I suppose the reality is, you know, we're seeing this in households, we're seeing it in our teams, we're seeing it in our business, because you've got that concurrent cost of living and cost of business crisis. So even certain things like talking to industry colleagues, I mean, they're seeing they were talking about doubling and, and tripling of bills. Now we're hearing about quadrupling, even for people who would have, you know, I suppose, undertaken sustainable programs and put sustainable infrastructure in place. You know, the reality is the electricity costs here in Ireland are 60% higher than Europe. We have the second highest cost of credit after Greece. You know, um, inputs, like we see dairy's gone up 37%. So it's just, it, it, it it's going to be a very long winter it's fair to say vincent um and and there is a lot of concern but the one thing that i will say is there's great opportunity within you know the tourism and hospitality uh, family um and i think one thing that i suppose the pandemic times did result in there was a great coming together of people you know obviously number one to survive but to sustain but i think there's a recalibration of all of our mindset in terms of what should the future of tourism look like and and it, it's it's going to be really really interesting to see how that I suppose, mm. plays out over the next little while, and particularly as we try and edge towards recovery. Duncan, if I could come to you, both, both the hospitality sector and the retail sector, uh, it, it can't take part in what's happened in the workplace generally over the last couple of years, this hybrid form of working. Mm. Your employees have to be present and have to be present at, at, at various times of the day and, and, and week. Is that putting an extra pressure on on employees in the retail sector because of the cost of living crisis as well? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, <clears throat> I'm, I'm listening to what Elaine is saying there and a lot of it's mirrored in retail. And I think, you know, when you look at uh, how both industries came out of COVID, actually hospitality probably fared worse because they had longer lockdowns mm. and therefore more people had left the industry, um, you know, whereas at least retail had that that very difficult lockdown period, uh, the five months at the beginning of 2021. Um, so, you know, we, we got people back in. Um, I, I think it has been extremely difficult. I think what we're finding, yeah, the, the hybrid working certainly tore people away from our types of industry, you know, where you have to be present. Um, equally, you know, in retail terms, there was an awful lot of jobs that were created on the whole e-commerce side and logistics side. Some of those jobs would lend themselves to to hybrid working, but not all. Um, So from that point of view, um, it's been difficult. I think when I'm talking to particularly HR people at the moment in retail, they're saying to me that, you know, the part time, uh, you know, the students through the summer period and all that sort of thing, they have come back a bit. You know, we're seeing that uh, there are openings and people are are wanting some of those part time jobs. I'd say similar to what's going on in hospitality, but full-time jobs those those ones that where you've got career progression those are the ones that are proving to be more difficult filling those jobs are proving to be more difficult and i think that's as much about us having a uh, a real look at what the career path in retail looks like both from an employer point of view and an employee point of view because there's some great jobs out there we've just got to make sure that uh, we attract them as an industry i think going forward but in an environment where we still have more or less full employment, and mm. let's hope that stays with us, but in an environment of, of almost full employment, is it going to be more difficult for your uh, members, for your sector, 
to hire people. You know, the, the, the remuneration levels in retail, understandably, are, are perhaps lower than other sectors. People might be looking for more money now, perhaps, and less job satisfaction because of the cost of living crisis. Yeah, absolutely. And they certainly are looking for more money. And they're certainly, you know, if you look at the makeup of the workforce pre-COVID, um, a lot of it was, certainly in retail, was... Um, you know, those East European uh, uh, people that had to come across who during COVID went back for obvious reasons, uh, went back to the home countries. And what actually has happened is there's a lot more Irish people going into retail now. Um, the demands of those people is is higher. I mean, you, you know, absolutely no, no issue with that whatsoever. But it's coming at a time when, you know, the government are talking about putting the minimum wage up by 80 cents in in January. Um, there's a movement towards minimum wage and the living wage merging together over time. Um, and yet businesses are sitting there with energy costs that have gone, you know, tens of thousands of euro more this year compared to last year. So the pressure is really on. Something has to give. Something has to give. But equally, as an industry, we have to we have to look at what are great jobs for many people. There is a, you know, there are a lot of people out there who've come into retail and really enjoy the flexibility that it gives them, the career progression it gives them, the opportunities to deal with people and all that good stuff. So, you know, th- th- there is a way forward, but it's going to be very challenging. Elena, are, are your members facing increasing demands for, for, for higher wages from employees generally, particularly full-time employees, because of, of the pressures on their budgets? Absolutely. But, you know, I suppose the other side of it is, Vincent, during the pandemic, our sector was really, really good to upskill and there was great supports available from government. And that has continued. So, you know, when when it's not just, I suppose, the cost of living crisis, but equally you have a higher skill base, particularly amongst your, your senior teams, you know, be it your supervisors, managers, um, etc. Interestingly, Fault Ireland research that was published just right before we kind of reopened um, that suggested that there was 40,000 uh, vacancies in tourism and hospitality. Now, anecdotally talking to colleagues and even within our own hotel, it's not across all aspects of the business. So there, there's definitely challenges in particular areas like chefs, for example, or in terms of management teams. Um, but I think I, I used the word recalibrate earlier on. I think the whole workplace has really recalibrated. You know, I, I suppose people can work anywhere they want to now. Um, recently, um, somebody who was joining our team in a more senior position, they actually interviewed five of us. And I, I made that comment to, you know, one of my cousins, an American cousin at, at a wedding not so long ago. And I said, you know, it was interesting. I said, now the tables have turned and you're in essence being interviewed as opposed to the other way around. Mm. And she turned around and she said, well, if I'm going to give you two years of my life, what are you going to do for me? And I just thought it was a very interesting proposition because, yes, money is important. You know, um, I suppose tourism and hospitality offers a lot of opportunity in terms of, you know, flexibility. So like in our own hotel now, people have options of of working three to four days a week. You that's know, a, that's and, an idea, that isn't it? For some, and it doesn't work yeah. for others. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, part time. Duncan mentioned it there as well, you know, and it's really a case of, you know, what can you do and we'll try and work around you. Um, but it has to be more than about money. I mean, it has to be about that sense of club. I look at our team. They can work anywhere they want, but you have to create that sense of community, that sense of belonging. And equally, you know, Vincent or Duncan mentioned about career progression opportunities. I think that a lot of work has been done in because it actually can be a very, very rewarding career. And I suppose we have two types of people that work in in tourism and hospitality. 
you know, one is people who are on a career trajectory and for others, it's been used to supplement maybe studies or it could even just be a social outlet. So it's recognizing the two different types of people and making sure then that there are mentoring and developmental programs in place that support what they're trying to get out there. There's no better place to work in terms of <laughs> life skills. I mean, that's the reality of it. Well, whatever about you, you mentioned there, you know, the, the, the money situation, but we were talking to Peter Cosgrove earlier on the podcast about um, different levels of anxiety amongst uh, the workforce and uh, the Leia Wellbeing uh, Health, uh, Health Index um, shows that, that the greatest anxiety now is related to the cost of living crisis, particularly amongst women. And both your sectors would probably be have a higher proportion of women working. Uh, Duncan, are, are you picking up that that new anxiety about uh, about the cost of living from from people working in the retail sector? Yes, I think it's coming through. Um, but, you know, I think employers are certainly hearing some of that. And, you know, we, we have to look at this as, yes, we're employers, but we also require people to be spending money in shops. And if they haven't got the money because of the cost of living, that's impacting on our business. And the whole thing is a, a downward spiral. So there's certainly a need to be um, you know, giving a decent remuneration, giving a decent wage to people. Um, I think the whole thing of minimum wage and living wage and, and all of that is is a difficult one because I think there's a lot of people that come into our industries who, you know, as, as Elena said, you know, the the the, the part time worker that comes in, the, the student that comes in who's not a d- dependent, um, you know, they're, they're they're the ones that you know earning a bit of pocket money to and starting on the ladder, yeah. And, you know, very many people join our industries to do that. They start on the ladder and they don't leave because they see that career progression opportunity. But it it is certainly an issue. Um, and it's certainly one that uh, retailers in particular are looking at what are the other benefits uh, that can be given over and above that. So, you know, for the first, really since COVID, for the first time ever, I think retailers really start to, to look at, you know, should I be offering gym membership? You know, what are the, what's the holiday package here I've got? You know, should we, should we be looking at some form of um, home working, you know, for, for jobs that aren't necessarily customer facing? Um, so there's a lot of things like that, that that businesses are now starting to examine that they certainly in retail terms weren't doing, you know, pre-COVID. Elena, what about, what about your sector? Are are your members picking up that perhaps increased anxiety amongst uh, people working for I, you uh, because of the cost of living crisis? And can your members, as employers, do anything about that? I mean, leaving leaving salaries and remuneration aside, can you do anything in terms of perhaps budgeting programs or, or other measures to try to, uh, to to mitigate those pressures on people? Yeah, I, I suppose, to be honest, we've had a lot of anxiety in our sector, you know, because of the pandemic and, and the uncertainty that went with it. So I know in my previous role, I was involved as president of the Irish Hotels Federation. And very quickly, we would have implemented a health and well-being program. Now, look, health and well-being programs exist in, in you know, so many different sectors and in various formats. But I think the level of support that is provided in, in the workplace, because at the end of the day, we're all one team, you know, in terms of delivering those experiences it's really something very different to what it was two years ago. So, you know, that sense of before there was like an appreciation day, you know, now I think there's more continuous appreciation. So you've got health and well-being programs in place um, in many organizations and, and Leah provide a very good example of, of one of those. Um, but it goes beyond that. And, and very correctly, you know, Duncan mentioned there things like gym programs. That's very easy for us in, in hotels, for example. But it's even down to step count. It's nutrition. It's a sense of, you know, outlets for social um 
we recently hosted um, a team appreciation week and I mean it was just interesting to see the range of services that were available so it was everything from motivational talks to you know podiatry services to challenges treasure hunts um, and it, we were trying to get a balance um, I suppose in terms of being at home and and being in the workplace but I think that's really really important and I suppose then it's that sense of support in terms of the cost of living crisis because it's a very real crisis you know in terms of and I, I, I go back to it during the pandemic, obviously, you know, there was people's concerns before some of the government measures came in place, you know, around mortgages, et cetera. Like they've been there for a while. So I think the notion of, you know, the HR function or, you know, talent development, it's it's a partnership approach. And I suppose there are a lot of very good employers out there. And it's great to see things like Fault Ireland now have just put in place an employer excellence program. And it's about really going beyond the traditional HR model, making it a lot more holistic. And I think when you do that, you do provide people with those additional resources in terms of resilience, you know, budgetary. Um, it has to extend beyond the person. It has to extend into their families or their support structures and that as well. So it's a very, very different workplace. And the supports now have to extend far beyond the job itself. It, it has to give a balance within people's lives. And, and you know what? It's a good thing to see that coming in, in place. Would you agree, Duncan? And would you agree also that it's perhaps harder for, for smaller employers to even get the headspace to think about putting on those extra measures, let alone paying for them. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. And, and I, yeah, particularly for SME retailers, you know, that, I mean, if you look at, there were some numbers out um, earlier on this week, uh, KPMG will be doing a study for, for the Department of Enterprise around retail. And, you know, the numbers now are 320,000 people are employed in, in retail. Um, you know, it's biggest private employer in the country. Um, you know, we've got an, an awful lot of those are SME retailers that are employing less than 10 people. Um, you know, and for many retailers, for those those retailers, it's the biggest cost they've got. So, you know, but and I think if you are in that space, you're not only thinking about your own business and that business survival. You're also thinking about the, you know, the the what you need to do, the challenge you have to 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 give something back to your em- employees. You know, we do need to recognise the difficulties many of them have gone through. You know, particularly through COVID. Uh, and okay, the supports were there through COVID. Mm. They're not there to the same degree now, and, and, and yet, they're unlikely to be. I and think. they're unlikely to be. And we're facing into you know not only have businesses seen these massive energy increases, but equally, you know, staff have in their own situation at, at home as well. So, you know, we've we've got to work together on this um, and it is going to be extremely difficult. Um, and a lot of, you know, the businesses that will survive out of this are the ones that bring their people with them. So leadership um, and uh, you know, having that ability to get people around a table, work together and develop the business for the future is is really what's required now. And you know you can't go back to those old autocratic ways of working. It is about it is about being uh, on the same page. Elena Duncan mentioned there the businesses that survive this crisis. Are you concerned that a lot of your businesses and obviously the jobs that go with it won't survive this? Particularly if we perhaps two winters of this. Yeah, it's it's a source of huge concern um, and that. But we have seen worse times, you know, uh, Vincent, than what we have now. I think it's actually the unknown. It's a sense of, look, will they, this get worse? How long will it last, etc.? cetera? Um, and I know within tourism and hospitality that the lack of certainty around VAT staying in place at the lower rate um, is a source of huge concern. That's, that's due to... Um, 
finish in its current lower form at a 9% at the end of February. Now, you know, sometimes people think, well, that's a tourism tax. Well, it's actually not. If you're having a cup of coffee or a cup of tea or you're having lunch and, and you're in the workplace, it's on. It's a tax on everybody in terms of who avails of those services. So that's kind of one of those things that I would like to say that we'd like to see certainty on and a firm commitment, because actually it's in line with what the rest of Europe is as well. And we have to be conscious of how do we fit in competitively versus our, our European partners and that as well. So I think there's a lot of concern about what's coming down the line and, and maybe we're imagining the worst form of it. But there is a lot of kind of shared resources available. So I mentioned about the Irish Hotels Federation having their um, employment programs. So sometimes membership or access or even through local services, you can avail of a lot of support measures. And it even could be something simple like a local sports partnership. There are toolkits out there to help you. But I suppose at the end of the day, it's about knowing your team members, knowing how you can add value to what they're doing, because in effect, it's going to add value to what you're doing. And I suppose the traditional model of where you're going as well, there has to be a shared vision. You know, people have very strong values when it comes to sustainability in terms of commu community. And I suppose that's the type of person um, that you're often going to see in terms of the millennials, et cetera, in our business. And it, it's how we leverage that together. And I think that's a very important part of the employer brand and, you know, developing this uh, each of our sectors as a whole. And Duncan is right. I suppose it's that sense of bringing everybody the distance with you. They're the people who are more likely to survive. But the cost of living crisis is a very, very real crisis um, and I suppose it, it's very consuming from a time perspective etc and you know it, it requires a lot of headspace but really we can't forget about our people because at the end of the day in terms of tourism hospitality you know retail it's a people business. Duncan has one advantage on you Elena I can actually see him nodding in agreement here in studio. <laughs> <laughs> we might finish up our, our conversation Duncan coming back to you are you worried that a lot of your businesses may not survive if, if, if this cost of living crisis becomes a two to three year phenomenon and, and you know, some of your employers may see the writing on the wall and perhaps get out first. Yeah, look, I think we had this with the last recession, didn't we, that it was probably 2012 before businesses really started to close. And I think we're now going into that point again, you know, a couple of years uh, in from the from the recession, from the from the COVID pandemic um, and with this double whammy of, of, of the energy crisis and cost of living crisis. So I do think um there will inevitably be business failures. Um, I think we need to encourage the new businesses to come back in. I think um, you know there's a lot of vacant commercial retail property around the country, which which is there for uh, you know can be used to bring in international businesses or create entrepreneurs of our own. And I think the one thing that I found certainly during COVID was how adaptable and how resilient and, and how creative retailers have become. And not just by going online, but also what they were doing in their own stores. And I think, so Am I have I got a fear about it? Yeah, I've got an anxiety, but I do think retail will bounce back. Okay, well, on that positive note, we, we might leave it there. Uh, my thanks to Elena Fitzgerald, Chairperson of the Irish Tourism Industry Confederation, and of course to Duncan Graham, the Managing Director for Retail Excellence Ireland. And my thanks to all our guests this week on this edition of Workplace Wellbeing. You can listen to or download the podcast at newstalk.com and be sure to subscribe to the series. Thank you for listening. Workplace Wellbeing with Vincent Wall. Brought to you by Leia Healthcare. Download the full Workplace Wellbeing Index now on leahhealthcare.ie.